Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on August 24th, 2014. Today's message is titled, Stress Relief, by Dr. Lyle Schrag, and it's based on scripture, Psalm 42-43. going to sound a little bit like a news announcer here right now. Dateline, February 2011. Southern China, in the Yuxi City, I think it's Yuxi City, a hospital in the Yunnan province. A Chinese man named Li Fuyan had tried every treatment imaginable to ease what had become a throbbing headache. Nothing had helped him. An x-ray had been taken and finally revealed the culprit. A rusty four-inch knife blade had been lodged in his skull for four years. In an attack by a robber, uh, Fuyan had suffered four years ago, uh, uh, his uh, knife attack, the knife wounds on the right side of his jaw, uh, what he did not know after the attack was that the blade had actually broken off inside his head. And so f- there was four inches worth of that blade there for four years. No wonder when he came to the doctors, he described his headaches as a stabbing pain. Uh, you know, he kind of get that, that, that feeling. And so for four years, he had carried uh, on until finally he decided to seek some help. And in a surgery, the doctors described as nothing short of miraculous, he was set free. Remarkable thing. I don't know why I'm drawn to stories like that. And I'm not quite sure what to make of it. But I do like Max Licato's take in his book, in in a simple title of the book, entitled Grace. Listen to what he writes. He says, we cannot live with foreign objects buried in our bodies or our souls. What would an x-ray of your interior reveal? Regrets over uh, broken relationships, remorse over poor choices, shame about uh, a marriage that didn't work, a, a habit you couldn't quit, a temptation you didn't resist, or the courage that you couldn't find? Guilt lies, Licato writes, hidden beneath the surface, festering and irritating, sometimes so deeply embedded that you can't even remember the cause. Consider the the words that Licato strings together there. Regret, remorse. I, I, I would suspect that they are more deeply embedded within us than we would care to admit. A few years ago, Dr. Charles and Wynne Arn of uh, Fuller Seminary, a father and son team, they published the results of their research into the ministry uh, with middle and senior adults. Now, I won't go into full details of their work, but it was a challenge to the conventional wisdom that in only youth do uh, people entertain a commitment to Christ. You may be familiar with that theory that it's only in youth that people come to know Christ, and that the older you get, the more hardened you you are when it comes to issues of faith. What they discovered, however, was that when given equal resources as invested into youth ministry and strategic efforts as given to the youth, middle and senior adults actually embraced the gospel in their studies with greater fervor and tenacity as did the youth. It's a remarkable study, and you could read it for yourself. It's a book entitled Catch the Age Wave. But what intrigued me about reading that study was the fact that the compelling presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
for middle and senior adults was something totally different than that compelling message for youth. Youth tend to respond to that message of the gospel of finding purpose and meaning in life through a relationship with their creator in Jesus Christ. The message, however, that resonates with middle and seniors, the adults, was finding peace and resolution with a life that has already been lived and has, in fact, been overcome with the accumulation of regret and remorse that has become embedded over the years. Back to Lakato. What would an x-ray of your interior reveal? Regrets over past relationships, remorse over poor choices, shame about promises you couldn't keep or couldn't fulfill, the habits you couldn't quit, the temptations you didn't resist, or the courage you couldn't find. They are there and hidden beneath the surface, festering and irritating. And because they are there, it is not hard to understand how compelling it is then to find in Jesus Christ a freedom of forgiveness and a peace that passes all understanding. That is the message of the scriptures. One of a hope that can only be found in the grace of God. Answering such questions as, can I find peace from a life of regret? Can I find hope on the authority of God's word? The answer is outstandingly yes. And to prove it, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. And in this morning, we are going to be looking at two of them, Psalm 42 and 43. Pull them together. Now, right away, you're going to see something right at the very head of Psalms. If you open up your Bibles, if you open up your Bibles, if you open up your Bibles, if you have your Bibles there, open up to Psalm 42, you're going to see something at the very head of the Psalm. It should read, at least in your Bible, it should read Book 2, even before the Psalm appears. Now, I don't want to make too much of it, but the fact is that the book of Psalms was organized into five books. A commentary in the Talmud explains it this way. As Moses gave the five books of the law to Israel, so David gave the five books of Psalms to Israel as well. The idea being that there are parallels in, in the themes between the five books of Psalms and the first five books of the Bible. So we have here now book two. What is the second book of the Bible to which this is parallel to? Anybody? Exodus, exactly, Exodus. And what is the theme that sets the stage then? Right off the bat in Psalm 42 and 43, the deliverance of God. God coming to the rescue of his precious chosen people, and that is you and that is me. Rescue from what you may ask. Well, in Exodus, it is slavery and oppression. And in Psalms, well, you find the word repeated three times in this psalm, Psalm 42 and 43. The New American Standard Version translates it as despair. That's what we're being rescued from, despair. In the New International Version, translates the word as being downcast. That's what we're being rescued from. Being possessed of such a burdened spirit that it can only cry out for deliverance, a deliverance that only God can give. So I want you to hold that thought for a moment and then linger on another word that introduces Psalm 42 and 43 for that matter as well. This is a maskil, a maskil of the sons of Korah. Now, two weeks ago, uh, as we were going to the Psalms, we had an Alamoth psalm. 
I sound like a Texan if I were to say to you, do you remember the Alamo? Um, but here we have a masculine song. That was supposed to be funny. Giggle. If you well, you got it. Okay, good. So you got it. Okay, here we have a mascal, and a mascal psalm is a different type of Hebrew poetry. It's a Hebrew poetry that is defined as contemplation. It's a contemplative psalm that is meant to be taken in slowly and deeply. And here, the psalm serves as an invitation to carefully unlock the storehouse of your soul, where that regret and that remorse have taken root. As Locato puts it, they've become deeply embedded. They are festering, and they are awaiting for a cure. Now, I don't want to get too lost in the technical details, <clears throat> but the word despair or being cast down is in a phrase at the core of this contemplation of the two psalms. And in reality, because it is at the core, it, it melts them together as one full psalm. The psalm is a psalm with a chorus, and you'll find that chorus in, in, in 42, verse 5, in 42, verse 11, and again in 43, verse 5. That's why these are together. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. <clears throat> three times that phrase appears, and with that it creates a perfect outline of three parts in the psalm that we take to heart. The first part in verses 1 through 4 is a look back into the past, and it is a lost past that explains why the heart has in fact become cast down, is, has been placed in despair. Hence the first part of the chorus, verse 5, why are you cast down? The second part of the psalm, from verses 6 through 10, reveals the troubles of the present where the chorus explains in verse 11, why is my soul in turmoil, that's present tense, in turmoil within me. And the third part, in the first four verses of Psalm 43, it resolves it all with a future that is filled with the assurance of hope as the chorus comes to the climax. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, it may seem like a fairly simple outline, but in reality, it is a very arduous journey to take between those steps from the past into the present and then to grasp the future. So consider now how it begins. Listen as I read the first four verses. As a deer pants for flowing water, so my, my, uh, pants my soul for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you, God? My... My tears have become my food day and night, and while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the, with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with, loud with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, to appreciate these four verses, think of it in, almost as if it was a movie, where the focus is on verse 4, as a flashback in time. You know how movies oftentimes go flashbacks? Picture it this way. In verses 1 through 3, uh, someone uh, somewhat aged, a man or a woman, doesn't really matter. In fact, make it yourself. And if you're young, make it yourself years from now. 
Your hair is thinning and your skin has become wrinkled, not just because of the years, but particularly because of the mileage. And there are tears in your eyes. And they've become, as verse 3 says, your constant companion. Why? Because you are haunted by the memories. Verse 4. And here is the flashback. The thought of that person in these verses is, it wasn't always like that. Why, there was a time when my soul was fresh and alive. There was a skip in my step and a, and a song on my lips. These things I remember, we read, how I would go with the throng and I would lead the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. Life was a festival. But that was long Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. And all I'm left with now are, are just questions. In verse 2, when will God appear? Verse 3, where is God? Let me pause for a moment. That question reappears also in verse 10. There, that question is given voice by adversaries, other people who make that question a taunt. But here, that question appears to be asked by the tears themselves. My tears, they say to me all day long, where is your God? The fact is, you really don't need anyone else to raise the question you already have it in heart. And in this picture, you're the one that is asking the question. And all that all of the, that comes as an answer is just regret and remorse. Those days were long past. And while the appetite for God lingers still, uh, there is a thirst for God like that of a deer panting for water. All you're really left with are tears to quench your soul and memories to haunt you. And so verse 5 adds another question to the mix. In, in verse 2 it was when, in verse 3 it was where, in verse 5 we have another question. Why? Why are you cast down? And the Hebrew word there paints a very sad picture. Literally it means to crouch down or bow as if under an assault. And essentially means assume the fetal position. As if you've been hit by too many blows and no longer have a defense. And here, the assault is made by the things that are being remembered. Which takes us back to Licato's questions. What would an x-ray of your soul reveal, your interior reveal? Regrets over the past relationships? Remorse over poor choices? Shame about promises you didn't keep or couldn't fulfill? The habits you couldn't quit? The temptation you didn't resist? Or the courage that you couldn't find? Oh, you may remember a day when you were filled with the spirit of gladness and praise, spunk and, and, and resolve, but those are long past. And now, looking back, becomes an exercise in despair and futility. And while the past ain't great, <laughs> the present really isn't much better. Look in verse 6. There's a pivot from the past now to the present. From remembering the past to life, into the present, and there we read, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. Mark those, that phrase. 
At the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Notice the questions are all still there. Why am I forgotten? Why am I in mourning? And as I mentioned a moment ago, where is God? Where is God? But there's something different happening here. The soul may be in, 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 in despair, but what you discover is that it is not in defeat. Look at verse 11. The current state of the soul is moved from despair to turmoil, which means that it's still alive. But the Hebrew word for turmoil is rich. It's the word hama. And it's, it's a word that, is, that carries a sense of agitation. It's full of motion and of noise and of turbulence. It's alive. Hama, 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 hama. <laughs> it's all shook up. And there's, a, and there's an indication that there's a spark of life still left. And you get an idea that the psalmist has not yet surrendered to his despair. Look at verse 8. He is still praying. In verse 9, and it may not be a prayer of victory, but it is a prayer of honesty. Why have you forgotten me? Why am I in mourning? Take that to heart. The fact is God welcomes honesty in prayer. The psalmist is still praying, maybe not out of a spirit of gladness and ecstasy and praise. In fact, in verse 8, it's more out of obedience to a command, and he will not surrender. God commands his love, and a prayer takes him at his word, and the prayer becomes a response to the command. What you see here is the critical element of faith, that a deliberate act of obedience turns the eyes to God for hope, and you continue to pray. I will continue to pray. I will fix my memory on God. That is something I can do and I can do today, so I will do it. And that's what's behind the spirit of determination. Now, there's an unusual expression found within this psalm here, as I mentioned just a moment ago. It's deep calls to deep. That term deep is a poetic description uh, uh, of the, the profound core that stands at the foundation of life. It defines instinct, if you will. And that which is deep in God communicates to that which is deep in all of his creation. It is the deep in God that calls to the deep in the trees so that in fall their, their, their leaves turn color. It's, it's, it's the establishment of instinct. It's the core of their being. It is the deep in God that calls to the deep in birds and signals them to migrate north or south according to season because it is part of their being, their instinct. It is core to their heart. And here, the deep of God is calling to that which is deep in you that draws you to himself no matter what. You were made by him and for him, and no matter what has stepped into the middle, no matter what obstacles the years have gathered together as a blockade, there is something in you and me that is part of his deep that keeps us turning to God. Do you catch that deep calling unto deep? 
Deep is calling unto deep, and therefore we pray. Let me paraphrase verse 11. I may be cast down, I may be in turmoil, but it ain't over until God says it's over. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And, and in verse 43, then suddenly everything changes. It changes from the mournful sound of tears in, in verse 42 to a very determined voice of prayer in, 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 in Psalm 43. Verse 1, here's how that prayer comes out. It's determination all the way. Vindicate me, O God. <laughs> verse 2, you are the God in whom I take refuge. Verse 3, send out your light and your truth. Lead them, uh, let them lead me to your holy hill. Now, there's an illustration that has helped me be able to picture what is happening here. Uh, some of you may know that I'm, a, 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 I'm an officer right now with the United States Coast Guard. In fact, I was out on the water all day yesterday. Beautiful day to get a sunburn. And, and, those, and, and those of you who have boats know that in 2009, all marine radios were required to switch to the DSC system, the digital select calling system for search and rescue purposes. Now you can tell those radios now, the DSC radios, because they have a little red button. And, and, and in distress, all you need to do is press that button and the signal goes out by satellite and is immediately re received by search and rescue and, and help is on the way. And when you look at verse 3 with that prayer, vindicate me, uh, God, uh, that prayer has pushed the button. And what is coming your way is your light and your truth. God's light and God's truth, they're on the way. It is search and rescue. You may, may think that the years have created such a great deep gulf between you and God that nothing could possibly help. That is not so. God has already put his forces on alert. His light, the working of the Holy Spirit, and his truth, the word of God, are there ready to reach out to you to bring you home. And all they are waiting is your prayer. When you turn to him and press the button, seek and search and rescue is on the way. And steadily and carefully, God will lead you from the darkness of despair out into the light of his presence. Now notice with care how this becomes a process and a journey right within the psalm, Psalm 43, that you make with him step by step. Notice how the journey goes. It begins at, by coming to the holy hill in verse 3. And then it moves by going to his dwelling place and then moving into his, to his altar in verse 4 and then finally ending up where you stand face to face with God where then all of the questions and then the, 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 the where's, the when's, the why's are then laid to rest. And there is joy and praise and that's all that matters. You see that in the psalm? It's a journey. But it is one that... That, that leads to freedom, and it ends with joy, where the final word is written, O oh God, my God, in verse 4. You see that? I just love the way the Psalms, those two, began with a question mark, 
Where is God? When it comes down to it, through as the journey is completed, it ends with an exclamation point. There is my God. It's a journey worth taking. And there's one that I wish to encourage you with, and the word is there to encourage you to take by the power of the Spirit. Let me close with a story, a testimony, actually. It's recorded by a mission agency that I worked with in Russia. In the 1930s, Stalin ordered that all Bibles be confiscated and that Christian believers would be sent to prison camps. Ironically, most of the Bibles were not destroyed. And while many Christians died as enemies of the state, when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, these Bibles were still to be found in storage. And so a consortium of Christian groups arrived in Stavropol uh, with the request to have their Bibles shipped into Moscow. And while their request was delayed, someone told them about this warehouse outside of time where the confiscated Bibles were still being stored. And remarkably, the team was actually granted permission to distribute them while they waited for their application to be approved to bring in new ones from the West. Hiring several local Russian workers, they began to load their trucks, and one young man, an admitted agnostic, came only for the day's wages. But not long after they had started, he disappeared. And hours later, he was found in the corner of the warehouse, and he was weeping. He had a Bible in his hands. And his confession that in seeing the Bible uh, in his hands, in seeing the Bibles, his confession was that he intended to steal one for himself. And that as a child, one of his warmest memories had been of having a grandmother who was a believer and who had told him stories from the Bible and how over the years he had been haunted by the feelings he had, this childlike desire to know the God of his grandmother, but having never ever carried it to fruition, he was filled with regret and remorse. And, and, and even though the years had hardened him to the point where it was just a faint memory, that moment was strong enough to pique his curiosity, and so he went ahead and stole a Bible, only to find that he had picked up his grandmother's own Bible off that shelf. Her signature was on the front page of the Bible. And along with it, there was a list of names that she had prayed for each and every day as she opened her Bible, and his name was at the top of that list. Where is God? Became there is God. And at the end of the day, there was exceeding joy and endless praise. As we come to the end of this message, I, I just want to assure you that there is hope for you. 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 There is hope for every single one of us here. And on the authority of God's word, in Psalm 43, verse 4, let us go to the altar of God together and pray, for he is there to receive you and to rescue you from all your memories and your fears and your shame, to take you to himself with joy and endless praise. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you with an open heart, we humbly confess the burdens of our souls. 
regrets over past relationships, remorse over poor choices, shame about the promises we, we haven't kept or couldn't fulfill, the habits we couldn't quit, the temptations we couldn't resist, and the courage we couldn't find. And, and were they to define our lives, Lord, we confess, we would be lost. But you have loved us. And through Jesus Christ, you have prepared us for a moment just like this, to come into your presence and to find our hope fulfilled. For you are our salvation. You are my God, and I am yours now and forever. That is the prayer of our heart. This we pray in the powerful and wonderful name of the one who has loved us from the beginning and has given himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.